0: Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get to this week's episode. In the 1950s, Donna Roberts grew up on a farm in Ohio, but she yearned to escape rural life. When she was 17, she met William, and after a few months of dating, they got married and moved to Miami, Florida. There, Donna worked in a medical office, Three years later, they had a child. But a couple years after that, the newlywed bliss had worn off and they divorced. After a few years, Donna was ready to get back into the dating game. Now 27 and a single mother, she fell head over heels in love when she met Burton. He was wealthy and the couple hit it off. Within a year, they tied the knot. But eight years into their marriage, Donna was restless. Not feeling fulfilled in her marriage, they divorced. Donna stayed single for a few years. Then at 40, she dipped her toe back into the dating pool and soon met Robert Fingerhut. The same age as Donna, he was wealthy and well-educated, with master's degrees in criminal justice and journalism. Donna was smitten. She liked the idea that he also had a child from a previous marriage. Just like her first two marriages, they dated for a short time, and in 1983, walked down the aisle. Robert bought them a large house, and life was good. But Donna wasn't content. She wasn't one to settle for what was in front of her. She always wanted more. After almost 20 years in Florida, she decided that she missed a simple life in the Midwest, and convinced Robert. They should move to Ohio, back to her roots. Robert agreed and they purchased a home in Warren. Robert was acute at business and purchased two bus terminals. Donna helped out in the office and Robert often worked late. The bus terminals did well and Robert paid it forward. He supported prisoners by offering them a job and provided them with bus tickets to visit their families. They had been married for two years when Robert started to worry about their financial security and the possibility of their business venture affecting their personal net worth. So he and Donna divorced, but it was just on paper. Everything was put in Donna's name to protect their assets. Robert took out two life insurance policies totaling $550,000 and listed Donna as a sole beneficiary. The couple continued living together as man and wife, and those who knew them thought they were still married. Then Donna began to feel restless again. Never content to remain on an even keel, she turned to shopping to fill a void. Donna had accumulated an astounding 52 credit cards and set out to max them out. But then Robert found out and was furious. He put Donna on a strict $100 a week budget. She was angry. What gave him that right? So Donna set out to get revenge, and soon found a new avenue of excitement. One that didn't cost a dime. One day at work, Nathaniel Jackson walked into the bus station. 57-year-old Donna was drawn to the handsome 28-year-old. While Robert was working late, she and Nate began a clandestine affair. She learned that Nate had a criminal past, but it didn't scare her away. In fact, she found his convictions for receiving stolen property exciting. And between the sheets, she confided in him that her marriage wasn't a happy one. Then in early 2001, a traffic cop pulled over Nate and discovered he was driving with a suspended license. Nate was sentenced to just under a year in prison. Donna wasn't swayed. After a year together, she was determined to stand by her man and vowed she'd be there for him when he got out. Donna got a post office box and began writing letters to Nate. The couple spoke or sent letters every day he was incarcerated. At some point, Nate's letters started to take on an ominous tone. There's something needed to be done about Robert. He never came right out and said it, but Donna knew what he was talking about. At first, she tried to brush it off. Court records revealed that in October... Nate wrote in part. Why don't you leave Robert and let's carry on with a world of our own. Or let me do what I was going to do to him. You better not go and try to get no one else to do it. Because I told you, it's getting done when I come home. Less than a week later, Nate wrote, I got it already planned out on how we're going to take care of the Robert situation. And baby. It's the best plan ever. Donna responded to Nate and said that she was frustrated with the limit Robert had put on her spending and finally agreed to Nate's plan. She wrote him back saying, You know, you can always count on me. It'll just be a little tougher now because he gives me $100 a week for everything and then makes me write checks to keep track of it all and I haven't been allowed to use any of the 52 credit cards. I'm not used to living like this. I'm used to having plenty of cash for whatever I want and buying everything I want. Maybe those days will return again soon. Do whatever you want to him, ASAP. Nate replied, stating that you don't ever have to worry about making no more excuses to him because he will no longer be with us after December 10th. Then he drew a tombstone. In another letter, Nate stated, Donna, I don't care what you say, but Robert has got to go. And I'm not going to let you stop me this time. And Donna, you know that I've always wanted to live my life with you, and only you. But every time I wanted to take care of the situation by myself, You would never let me. So Donna, can I do this so that we can go on and live happy? Later, Nate wrote, And after that, will you get me a 2002 Cadillac to fill? Then gave her a shopping list that included a ski mask, gloves, and handcuffs. In addition to letters, Donna and Nate also spoke often on the phone. And as we know, phone conversations with prisoners are recorded. During a phone conversation on October 25th, Nate is looking forward to being released in December and tells her, My mind is made up. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to let you know how I'm going to do it and everything. But Donna surprised him and said, ''Oh, I just wrote to tell you that I didn't think you really meant it.'' Nate replied, ''My mind is made up.'' Their conversations continued into November. In a call, Donna told them, ''I'm afraid, Nate. I can't afford to lose you. Like, I will kill myself.'' She went on to say, ''You're going to leave hair. You're going to leave prints.'' Nate interrupted her and told her, Leave it alone. This ain't Perry Mason. Donna responded with, I don't want to know anything about it, ever. As families were gathering around the dinner table, celebrating Thanksgiving, Donna and Nate continued with their plan for murder. On November 24th, Jackson tried to reassure Donna, telling her, you get too nervous at times. And she replied that it was just her nature. Then they discussed DNA, and Nate said, The only way they could do with DNA is if they got the other person's. On December sixth, Donna reserved a suite at a motel for when Nate would be released. Two days later, the two lovers had one last conversation on the prison phone Donna let Nate know she was hesitant about his plan. To calm her, he told her, I gotta do this, Donna. I got to. She replied again, she did not want to know about it. But Nate needed help setting it up and said, I just need to be in that house when he comes home. On Sunday, when Nate was released, the couple enjoyed a night together at the motel On Tuesday, December 11th, while Robert was working at the bus terminal, the couple enjoyed dinner at a restaurant. Then they returned to the finger at home, and Donna let Nate in, then left him alone in the house. Robert worked until 9 p.m., then headed home. Meanwhile, Donna returned to the motel and reserved a room for the following week. All alone... She paced back and forth, killing time. Nate was waiting when Robert opened the door and attacked him in the kitchen. Robert raised his left hand to protect himself. The two men struggled. Robert wasn't giving up, but the much younger Nate managed to overpower him. He pulled out his gun and shot Robert. Four times, in the back, chest, and head. Robert died at 57. Nate then stole Robert's car and dumped it a couple miles away. Donna was there waiting and took him to the motel, then returned home. She called 911 and put on quite a performance, screaming hysterically. Investigators arrived to find a distraught Donna, shrieking, but when investigators began talking amongst themselves, they noticed Donna went quiet. Then when they checked on her, she began screaming again. She told investigators Robert had worked late, and she went shopping from 9 p.m. till midnight and that when she arrived home, Robert's car wasn't in the driveway. Investigators arranged for her brother to pick her up so they could secure the crime scene. They told her they needed to search the house, the garage, and everything in it, including the cars. And Donna told them, do whatever you have to to catch the bastard. Donna must have started to worry about what they would find. At 3.38 a.m., she called the house, likely to see if investigators were still there. When they answered the phone, she paused, then hung up. Investigators traced the call back to her cell phone. That got them suspicious. Then in a dresser drawer, they found 140 letters written to Donna, From Nate. And inside the trunk of Donna's car, they found a brown paper bag with another 140 letters written to Nate from Donna. And in the letters, investigators read about their plan for murder. The next day, investigators visited Donna at her brother's home. She admitted to having numerous affairs and provided names. With one omission, she never mentioned Nate. So a detective asked her outright about Nate, and she responded, Yes, I forgot about him. When the detective told Donna her phone had been traced to the call at 3.38 a.m., she said Nate had her phone and must have made the call. Meanwhile, Donna didn't bother to contact Robert's family in Florida to tell them he was gone. After she buried him, a detective called his family. The vindicator reported that when his son, Michael, heard the words, Your dad's dead, his first thought was Donna. Over the next week and a half, investigators learned about the couple's stay at the motel. They retrieved fingerprints from the room. They also searched a dumpster and found a garbage bag that had come from the room. Inside, they found a bottle of peroxide and used bandages and gauze with blood on them that belonged to Nate. Then investigators discovered Robert's two life insurance policies. The evidence was mounting. On December 12th, Robert's abandoned vehicle was found. Scientific analysis discovered blood on the visor, and that blood was a mix of Robert and Nate's DNA. On December 21st, 10 days after Robert's murder, both Donna and Nate were arrested and charged. Nate with aggravated murder, burglary, and robbery, and Donna with complicity in aggravated murder, burglary, and robbery. In separate trials, they were both found guilty and both sentenced to death. Both have appealed their sentences. All appeals to date have been denied. Currently 51-year-old Nate resides on death row at Chillicothe Correctional Institution in Ohio. Donna is 79 and the only woman on death row in Ohio and resides at the Ohio Reformatory for Women. An interesting note on executions in Ohio is that the governor has put a moratorium on death penalties. This is due in part to the controversy over lethal injections, but also because the state is having difficulty finding pharmaceutical suppliers willing to provide the drugs for lethal injection. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Dorothy Stratton. Paul saw beautiful 18-year-old Dorothy as his ticket to financial success and helped her become a centerfold. Then on the cusp of becoming a movie star, she was ready to move on without him. He couldn't let that happen. If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murder20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Verbal Planet for use of their music sound effects and Fasting studios and quick sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.